0: great to be back. This last week, uh, the Ladon family has made good use out of a karaoke machine that my father bought. (laughs) And um, both my daughter and my brother did uh, really amazing renditions of Stevie Wonder. And three of my sisters harmonized to Total Eclipse of the Heart by Bonnie Tyler. And I do what I always do when I'm uh, approaching a karaoke machine, and that is the old faithful Johnny Cash. (laughs) And so I'm going to talk to you a little bit about a boy named Sue this morning. Whenever you ask someone to preach who doesn't preach on a regular basis, you're going to get one of two sermons. You're going to get the sermon that is kind of already written. He or she has done it a few times. It's the safe sermon. And then there's the second sermon that you might get, and that is the, whatever the guy is thinking about that week. And that's what you're going to get this morning. So this is not the safe sermon. This is about what I've been thinking about lately. Uh, this is a, a text from Acts 8 about uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch and their encounter and a little bit of Johnny Cash. So... I'm going to read you just the first couple stanzas of the song just to jog your memory. So it goes like this. Well, my daddy left home when I was three, and he didn't leave much for my mom and me, just this old guitar and an empty bottle of booze. I don't blame him because he run and hid, but the meanest thing that he ever did was before he left, he went and named me Sue. Well, he must have thought it was quite a joke, and it got a lot of laugh from a lot of folk, and it seems that I've been fighting my whole life through. Some gal would giggle, and i get red, and some guy would laugh, and I'd bust his head. I tell you, it ain't easy for a boy named Sue. I like this song. I like this song. I like it for a few reasons. First of all, it's, it's great storytelling. I, I really like, I, I just, I, I love stories, and this is great storytelling, uh, also, it's funny, and karaoke is best when it's funny. Uh, sometimes it's unintentionally funny, but I like this song for that purpose. And uh, importantly for me, you can do this song without a whole lot of talent. And so that's, for, so, for some of us, that's kind of a lifeline also, at some point in the song, you get to yell, and I mean yell, my name is Sue, how do you do? Now you're going to die, <laughs> which is fun. And if you've never done it, go home, do it in the mirror, make sure you shout it really loud. It's great fun. So, But the song, in summary, is about a mean-spirited man who tries to toughen up his son by making him mean too. I guess it's, it might work. I mean, I don't think you're going to find any books on like the the honky-tonk and salute guide to parenting or anything like that. But this is the philosophy the guy's using. Uh, at the climax of the song, the father and son are standing in a saloon, battered and bleeding after a fist fight, and the father says, son, This world is rough, and if you're going to make it, you got to be tough. And I knew I wouldn't be there to help you along, so i give you that name, and I said goodbye, and I knew you'd have to get tough or die, and it's that name that's helped to make you strong. This approach to life is about a man becoming a man by toughening up. It's about being ready for a fight and strong enough to win it. This affects how the boy sees strangers, how he walks into a room full of new faces. I was recently watching the NBA draft, and saw the Warriors drafted this 6'11 center out of Vanderbilt. And uh, he's got a great body type for the position, he's got good numbers, and he's supposed to be a really smart kid. Uh, but the, the knock against him, according to the, the television commentator, was that we don't know if he's mean enough. We don't know if he's, is he mean enough? This is, this is the idea of what it means to grow up and be a man in, in, in some philosophies. While this character is fun to watch in a Western or fun to laugh at in a song, a mean-spirited man generally doesn't make a very good father. And a boy living with the memory of his mean-spirited or deadbeat father enters the world. With particular lenses. He tends to see the world in a particular way that distorts reality. This is not a sermon about parenting. This is a sermon about the lenses that we all have. Let me point out something else about this song that is absolutely true. The way that we live in the world is affected by our own insecurities. The way that we live in the world is affected by our own insecurities. The way that we treat loved ones, the way we react to strangers, the ways that we perceive and encounter other people. A boy who lives in fear of being embarrassed is easier to embarrass, even if he doesn't show it. A man walking into a room looking for a fight is more likely to find himself in a fight. That's just the way it is. If you look for bad news long enough, if you look for bad news hard enough, you'll probably find bad news. You might find it in the mirror. those of us who grew up with kind and caring parents, kind and caring fathers, ought to thank God for them. But we all have particular lenses, don't we? Maybe it isn't an absentee parent, maybe it's an ex-husband, or maybe it was a bad economy, or maybe it's a daily dose of sensationalized media that we consume. Maybe we preconditioned ourselves to see bad news all around us. Sometimes we don't see the world as it is, rather we look out and we see our own fears, and we act accordingly. This is a sermon about our own lenses. So I'm going to read you a story from the New Testament. And in this story, you're going to meet a stranger, a foreigner. And after reading this, I'm going to ask you this question. I'm going to ask you, what sort of lenses are you using? What sort of lenses are you using? So here's here's Acts 8. Then the angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go to the south on the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. This eunuch was in in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home, seated in his chariot. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. Now that's an important point. We'll get back to that in a minute. But remember that he's reading the book of Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it, and he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you understand what you're reading? He replied, the eunuch replying, how can I unless someone guides me? an interesting way to respond in other words the the eunuch is saying yeah i'm reading it but i don't know if i'm using the right lenses I i might need someone to help me see it better and he invited philip to get in and sit with him now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, like a lamb before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. This is from Isaiah 53. And we get a little bit more of Isaiah 53 here, but that's an important passage. We get back to that in a minute. I'll skip ahead. The eunuch asked Philip, About whom, may I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? In other words, he's saying, I'm reading about this suffering servant. Is the prophet talking about himself as a suffering servant, or is he talking about someone else as a suffering servant? Good question. Then the Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the way, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's some water. What's to prevent me from being baptized? And so he commanded the chariot to stop, and both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Before we talk about the eunuch, I want to say a few things about this story. In essence, this story is about sharing the good news with the stranger, the foreigner. That's what gospel means. Gospel means good news. Philip, guided by the Holy Spirit, is preconditioned for good news. He's wearing gospel glasses. What lenses are we using? This story reminds us that when we talk about Jesus, it ought to sound like good news. Eunuch, once hearing this news, goes away rejoicing. Clearly, it was good news to the eunuch. So we ought to ask ourselves, what lenses are we using? Do we have gospel lenses on? Do, do we, are we prepared to see good news? Are, are, we, are we good news? But of course, what, how we see tells us something about who we are. Are we good news? When we look at the strangers and the foreigners in our world, what lenses are we using? Do we see good news or do we see bad news? All right, let's talk about the specific character, the the Ethiopian eunuch. He's nameless. He's identified only as the Ethiopian eunuch. So what lenses are we using? Do we see a gender minority? Do we see black versus white? What lenses are we using? I'm going to ask you to adjust your glasses just a little bit, and it might be disorienting at first, but I'm going to ask you to trust me all the same. I'm going to tell you two things about this guy. The first is that... The eunuchs aren't what you think they are, all right? If you do a historical study of eunuchs in antiquity in the ancient world, these guys, they're not cast as social outcasts. They're not portrayed as, as people who are socially disadvantaged. They're not necessarily slaves. Uh, this is due to me. I'm, I'm, learning, I'm learning more about how eunuchs functioned in the ancient world. Um, <clears throat> they were senior government officials They were diplomats, they're philosophers, they're military leaders. In keeping with this story, what kind of man do we find here? This isn't a guy walking from honky-tonk to saloon, angry and embarrassed at being feminized. This is a powerful and rich man. The guy that we meet is the money manager and accountant of a queen. He's a powerful and wealthy man. Let me say something else. Remember, he's reading Isaiah. Two, five percent at most of people in this world could open a scroll and read it. So this guy's highly educated. Whoever he is, he is an elite member of his society. As Philip is approaching this chariot, to talk to this powerful and wealthy man, I sincerely doubt that Philip's worried about having a conversation about gender issues. Those are just not the lenses that he's using. Those, these, these are our lenses. Not, not, this is not a first century way to think about gender issues. In other words, eunuchs weren't weirdos. When we, read, we read this text, oh, this is a little weird, a little uncomfortable for us. This is this is strange. Now, given yes, he is a stranger. But Philip is not using those lenses. What lenses are we using? I'll tell you something else about the eunuch <clears throat> and Philip. I guarantee you that when Philip walks up to this chariot, he does not see a black man. I can guarantee you that. The passage doesn't mention his skin color because it's not important. And even if his skin is dark, they weren't calling skin pigmentation black or white in those days. In fact, these ideas of black and white are categories that aren't even invented yet. If, you're, if, you're, if you have an identity of ethnicity in this context, it is because you've chosen to embrace and orient yourself toward a particular city. That's how ethnicity is defined. The ideas of black and white don't exist yet. Have you ever wondered why we use black and white and we don't use brown and pink? These, these, these categories mean something for us that it wouldn't have in this context. What lenses are we using? What lenses are we using? Ethnicity was determined by what city and culture you embrace, not by your pigmentation. If we want to read this story as it was meant to be read, we have to take off our modern gender glasses, and we have to take off our modern race glasses, and if we could... We should probably take off the glasses that precondition us to see bad news in people that look different than us, people who are different from us. But of course, this is easier said than done. In many ways, it is impossible to live as if we don't see race as Philip did. I have an African-American colleague who was preaching a sermon at my seminary a few weeks ago, and he said this. He said, "Don't, don't tell me you don't see race. If you don't see race, you don't see me. We can't live as if we're not using our own eyes. These are the eyes we have. These are the eyes we have. Now we're in a predicament. Because it does nobody any good to act as if racism doesn't exist. And if racism exists, even if it's by our own making, race exists. And yet we don't want to perpetuate. It does no one any good to perpetuate these race glasses that we see through. So how do we reconcile this problem? I think that a good start is to acknowledge that we all have lenses. We all have lenses. We all have them. They color the way that we read the New Testament, and they color the way that we see the world around us. And we ought to acknowledge that it is difficult to see other people as they are. Or more simply, we ought to attempt to meet strangers with a little bit of self-awareness. When I was 17, I was fortunate enough to go live for five months with Kathy McCarty in, at Chinamoya Christian Hospital in Zimbabwe. And many people in this church were generous enough to support me in that and, and provide me with an education. Now, that was over 20 years ago. Zimbabwe is a much different place back then, uh, politically, economically. Zimbabwe was a much different place 20 years ago. Southern Africa was a different place. That was before apartheid fell. that was the first time that I learned that my race lenses don't work as well as I think they should. This is the first time I learned that these categories of black versus white tell me more about me than it tells me about the world. Let me give you an example. Okay, so in America, if an African-American parent and a Caucasian parent, so let's put those in scare quotes, African-American, Caucasian, because these are our categories, right? If They have kids, those kids will be perceived as African-American. That is the world we've constructed. These are the lenses that we see through. It doesn't work that way in Zimbabwe. If a black parent and a white parent have kids, a new race is created, and that race is called colored, and it's different. It's a third race. It's different than black. It's different than white. It's called colored. And of the three races mentioned, the person that has the most complicated life is the person that's given that label colored. That person walks through life with that label because they don't quite belong in either dominant social system. So now I have a new way to see the world. Uh, Never occurred to me before that, like, for instance, if I looked at Mariah Carey, I wouldn't see a black woman. Never, I I saw uh, Mariah Carey, I'm seeing the black woman, never a second thought. Never a second thought. But when my Zimbabweans, my Zimbabwean friends saw Mariah Carey, they saw something else. They saw something else. So I can ask myself what do I do with this information? What do I do now that I'm aware that my lenses are different? than my friend's lenses, than my neighbor's lenses? Well, I've got a choice. I can either decide to focus on the splinter in my neighbor's eye, or I can use that as an opportunity to wonder what might be obstructing my vision. We ought to attempt to meet strangers with a little bit of self-awareness. Meeting the stranger stranger requires self-awareness if we're going to meet them for who they are. It's not easy. But it might be a, a good first step. Let's get back to Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Let's acknowledge that as Americans, the categories of gender and race are our lenses. They represent for us as Americans fear. They represent categories of uncertainty. Are we bringing bad news with us? What lenses are we using? But these are not Philip's lenses. Philip would not have seen through the lenses of modern American fear. In fact, if we're going to be honest, when we encounter this text, we're not meeting one stranger, we're meeting two strangers. We're meeting the first century Ethiopian eunuch, and we're meeting Philip, the first century Jew. As far as we're concerned as Americans, these are both foreigners to us, by both time and place, and culture. Neither see the world through modern American fears. So what can we learn from them? What can we learn from them? I think we can learn that it's possible to see through spiritual eyes. I don't know if it's easy, but I think we learn that it's possible to see through spiritual eyes. And we learn that seeing with gospel lenses can and should overcome our fears. 1 John tells uh, tells us, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Have you ever wondered what Philip said to this Ethiopian on the road? How long did they they talk? What What did they talk about? We know they're talking about Isaiah 53. We know that they're talking about Jesus, the story of Jesus, but what is it that Philip said? And how long did they talk? Did they talk for five minutes? Did they talked for an hour. I don't know. But let's just imagine for a moment that they were sitting with Isaiah for at least at least five ten minutes. If they were if they were with Isaiah for at least that long, I wonder if they got to Isaiah fifty six. If we can imagine that they were at least reading Isaiah for 10 minutes, they would have run into this passage. This is Isaiah 56. Isaiah 56 says, For thus says the Lord, so this is the divine voice, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath and choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. To them I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than that of sons and daughters. So we have here a promise and a blessing to eunuchs. Here's the next passage. I will give to the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, to minister to him, to love the Lord, to be his servants, every one of them, to keep from profaning the Sabbath, and who hold fast to my covenant i will bring them to my holy mountain and i will make them joyful in my house of prayer if the ethiopian eunuch was hearing these words do you think he would have heard them as good news i think so i think so I think that this passage would be a cause for rejoicing. Philip was predisposed to see good news. And in that way, he was able to share good news. What lenses are we using? As we go from here, let's ask ourselves are we good news? Do we bring good news with us? What sort of lenses are we using? Pray with me, Lord. Give us, uh, give us something. Uh, give us something like spiritual glasses. Give us gospel lenses to view the strangers and the foreigners all around us. see them as you see them amen as we prepare for communion i'd like to remind you that the bread and the juice represent the uh the body and blood of our lord jesus who himself appears to his disciple in the form of a stranger if you remember the story of jesus he often appears as a stranger I'd like you to reflect on that as we receive the communion.